I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today. My guest is Rick Bauckham, CEO and founder of Symmetry, a consulting firm that is leveling the digital playing field for people of purpose. The Sim Peeps are disruptioneers who connect the dots between people, process, and technology to create value for their association and nonprofit clients. Rick describes himself as a technologist, futurist, and a digital native since before it was cool. Rick and I met at a rooftop restaurant when we were both at a strategic planning retreat that I facilitated for a client. And though we weren't there working together then, we quickly connected. And Rick has been a valued resource for me as we talk about digital transformation and a digital first mindset. And so I'm happy to have him here as my guest today. So welcome, Rick. Hi, Mary. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I I met you about the time I came in to the association industry as the book was the first edition of the book, uh, Road to Relevance, was coming out. So it was kind of a guidepost for me as I made the transition into the association industry. I had come out of several other industries before that. Uh, and have been working with a mutual client. So very excited to be here. Well, if that, uh, if, if we met when that first book came out, this means it's it's been 10 years because yes, it has. <laughs> anniversary of the book. And I guess it's the 10th anniversary of our friendship. So that's, that's kind true. Of cool. Happy anniversary. <laughs> yeah, same to you, fella. <laughs> what are some of the most impressive gains you've seen for the associations who've embraced a digital first mindset? Let's start with the benefits. Sure. Uh, first, I have to say it's a, it's a bit amazing to me that we're talking about digital first as, as an option because it's not, right? Um, you know, the statistics we look at our phones something like 96 times a day, you know, and we live in social media and we're connected and the way we engage is digital. So the biggest gains that I've seen in our clients and the people we've worked with has been in that re-energizing the engagement uh, with their members because that's where people live. I always ask the question when I'm in front of a group, which would you rather lose, your wallet or your iPhone, right? (laughs) So, and and the the answer is almost always, I'd rather lose my wallet, right? Um, Because we engage, we connect, we transact in our digital space. Well, so we, in the first book, we talked about the need to take the association to the member rather than always asking the member to come to the association. And I think that's even more important today. And we've seen it. The right. pandemic has accelerated many of the trends that we identified the first time around, but it's also providing a tailwind for us now. Mm. And this whole digital I. Uh, the digital idea and the need for digital, I think, is one of those areas now that has benefited from the tailwind as it's been a, a necessary conversation and not just a nice to have conversation about how we're going to do it, how we're going to resource it, whether it's expertise wise or money wise. So if there's a silver lining in a pandemic for associations, I believe it's this digital first piece of it. But what are the most common obstacles you see when it comes to furthering that conversation? Uh, you know, the, the biggest one I've seen in the association world, and it's not uncommon in other places, the FUD factor, fear, uncertainty, doubt. We've never done it that way. Uh, you know, 
I don't hear it as much today post-pandemic as I did before in what I call the before times, right? You know, I, I used to hear people say, ah, our members aren't digital savvy. They're not tech savvy. They'll never accept it. Or, you know, we're somehow special or immune to this digital trend. Uh, and that's, it's been the biggest obstacle. I think what's just happened post-pandemic uh, is that we've seen a structural change. We've proven that we can do it, right? It's it, the impossible. It's always impossible until it's possible. And uh, we've certainly proven that over the past 18 months. So I think we've gotten over or we're getting over very quickly the, you know, our members aren't digital savvy because, you know, who our grandmothers now are using their iPhones and iPads, right? So we're getting over that. And then we're getting over the what's possible hurdle because we've just proven so much is possible in the past 18 months. You know, it's been interesting for me as I've seen so many associations that have made it a point of pride that they didn't dip into their reserves mm. as if more money in the bank makes them somehow more meaningful or more relevant. And I think that's an obstacle, this hesitancy about spending money. And I really, I just was on the phone with a client today and I said, let's not call it spending money. Let's call it investing exactly. in the future for the organization. Um, do you think association boards really understand digital transformation or are these words that we're tossing around in the boardroom that really don't have much meaning? I think digital transformation is something that few people can define, right? Uh, and it's a very uh, broad term. It has a lot of meanings. That's the reason I like digital first better. It's a more rational approach. It, it's not boiling the ocean, which is what digital transformation sounds like we're trying to do everything all at once. And digital first is a more rational approach. And in, in, in with digital first, you're always looking at, is there a digital component to this? Is there a way to move from digitization, which is just taking it from you know, the old school pen and ink kind of approach, is there a way to digitize it? That's what we did first. And then there's digitalization, which is moving it into a more digital realm, you know, attaching social constructs to it, uh, those kinds of things, and moving through to digital transformation. So it's more the journey uh, rather than the destination. I think digital transformation means a lot to different people. And I think we do a disservice to our boards by throwing around terms like, hey, we need to be in a digital transformation and leaving it at that. We need to uh, explain and understand that journey uh, and work with them to make sure they understand it. I like what you just said about asking if there's a digital component, mm -hmm. because that then it's not a uh, then the, the whole digital transformation is a means to an end sure. rather than an end in and of itself. And my clients who have been on this transformation journey have said it's not an ending. You don't begin and you don't end. You simply identify where you need to start and then you keep pushing. And so I have one client that has invested millions of dollars. They're seven years in and they still have progress to make admittedly. So it's not a neat tie it up and do it once, tie it up in a bow. But, but many associations I think have done that, you know, they'll get the board to approve an investment. They'll get that investment done and then they kind of sit back and rest. But we know that complacency is the quickest path to irrelevance. 
So I'm guessing that you probably see that with with clients, don't you? That it's kind I of do, and I think the biggest obstacle in working with boards is really the board um, decision cycle, and especially when you apply it to the digital space. Because if you think about uh, the way uh, projects get approved or investments get approved at the board level, you know, typically you do a budget once a year, you spend months getting it approved by the board, and sooner or later you start doing your implementation work. So oftentimes by the time you get to the point of starting, you're two years in past where the technology made its appearance, right? So if you think about the technologies that are present today, that weren't present two years ago or three years ago, then you're already behind the curve. So the, the investment cycle that we've had in the association world of the annual budgeting cycle to approve projects one at a time uh, is puts us way behind the curve. That's a good point. And always playing catch up is sort of a stressful place to be mm. coming from the, the reactive rather than the proactive. It really doesn't feel good to be there and it really doesn't create value uh, like it could. Uh, when we interviewed you for the book, one of the things that you said that really stuck with me is a lot of times we have a conversation about technology in terms of what technology do we need? And you encourage clients to reframe that in by asking, what do you want to be able to do? Mm -hmm. And starting from the member point of view, and not necessarily the software point of view. Can you delve into that just a little bit? Uh, sure, and, and I'll give you another example is that people come to me now and say, what technologies do we need for this new back to work thing that we're all trying to do? And my question is, what kind of workplace are you trying to establish, right? So set your goals first in terms of your culture, how you wanna construct your business model, what you're trying to achieve. You know, I've been in the technology space for 40 plus years now, and it's all, it always starts, the, the question I always ask is, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? What's your strategy? And the technology should support that. So if you're asking the technology question first, you've got the horse behind the cart or in front of the cart, however that works, you're, you've got it backwards, right? saying that we should lead with our goals, lead with our purpose, lead with what we want to be able to do rather than lead with uh, what specific technologies do I need? Yeah, I think the uh, people try, they struggle too much with this technology or that. What do we need to do about artificial intelligence, right? That's the question I get oftentimes. And um, again, if you go back to, so what are you trying to, uh, what are you trying to understand? You're trying to understand member needs, desires, behaviors, uh, if that's a very specific set of use cases for the AI. The AI is just the framework that you employ to understand those things. But you know, you AI or Internet of Things or blockchain or APIs, any of those things are huge, deep topics in and of themselves. And technologists love to talk about them, but I only love to talk about them in the sense of what problem does it solve for you specifically. So we should be thinking about technology as a tool, yes. much like a gardener might bring a, you know, a, a weeder or a shovel or a hoe to the garden to do his or her work. We should be thinking about technology as a, as a tool. So we think about the work first 
and then the, the, the technology that will lead, frankly, to clearer technology decisions and, and in some ways make something that can be a little overwhelming, less overwhelming, perhaps. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we think when we think about technology, we think about expense, we think about expenditures, but let's talk about it in terms of revenue, because to me, this is a piece that has accelerated and changed since the first edition of the book. Mm-hmm. How have you seen digital investments pay off in terms of building revenue for associations and not just costing associations? Sure. That's the other key area from your first question is I've seen uh, at least one association and several others on the path that have built non-dues revenue products uh, based on top of technologies, but they build the uh, technology, the products using technology on top of their existing content and existing intellectual property. Uh, the example from the book in chapter seven is the Construction Specifications Institute, my friend Mark Dorsey, they've built a great platform for putting their standards into software tools through an API. The content that goes into that's been around since the 40s. Now they, they update it every year, right? But it's it's a long-standing property uh, that they have. It's intellectual property and content that they're now delivering digitally. And um, that's been very successful for them. I see other people on that journey. Uh, how can they take their content, monetize it through you know, learning management systems, uh, delivering, uh, you know, education uh, uh, events and opportunities for folks. You know, I oversimplify the association world into, you know, belonging, knowing, growing, and swag, right? That's my simple way of doing it. And uh, the digital space supports all of those at various levels. And I've seen uh, associations say, okay, what can we do with digital that makes us more sustainable and less reliant on just membership dues, for example, through these product sets. Uh, And I think as associations are now going back and looking at their product sets uh, and kind of re-rationalizing those, you know, there's a whole process for getting rid of sacred cows that don't serve a need and that whole process. I think that's an opportunity for them to go back and look at where's the digital opportunity in these things. And certainly Mark did that with that product at CSI. So just to clarify, so for listeners who aren't familiar with APIs, uh, how is that expected or predicted to provide revenue? So they've got so, their uh, and they have uh, put it in software, but what's that next step that's actually going to produce revenue for them? So uh, the way they've done the, so the API is basically a digital way to deliver a license to software providers. And so the software providers gain by the fact that they don't have to take all of that content and manually curate it into their product, which is what they used to do. CSI used to hand them a book and say, here you go. So they would literally be typing that stuff into their software backends, their databases to make it work. Now all that's delivered through an API. It does a lot of neat things that, you know, you could never do without the API, like cross-referencing, the, the product is called Crosswalk, by the way. So the name kind of implies what it does. So it gives them lots of ways to cross-reference and to intersect with various standards uh, that Construction Specifications Institute uh, puts together. So the API is the gateway uh, for the software manufacturers uh, to build so the products. Just, 
want to put a little bit of a plug in here for inviting outside expertise in because mm. uh, one of the other trends that we've seen since the book first came out is the need for new skill sets. Mm. And yeah. pandemic has also accelerated this need as well. We've got wonderful legacy staff on board in many cases, but not all of them necessarily have the, the skill sets to operate proactively or successfully uh, in this new environment we find themselves in. And for those groups that don't have internal expertise, I think partnering with a consultancy makes a lot of sense. And I mean that both in the S-E-N-S-E word, but also the C-E-N-T-S uh, aspect of the word, um, because this is just beyond. And the ability to program and the ability to see possibility is beyond many staffs. And I'm not picking on all association staff for sure. Uh, you know, I see many, many fine individuals. I will say observationally that the technology piece of it tends to be one of the weaker pieces. And I'm, I'm guessing that you see a little bit uh, of that too, Rick, don't you, that we're a little bit behind where we're still playing catch up in many cases? Absolutely. And I think, in, you know, again, going back to chapter seven, you introduced the shark fin. You know, we talked about that before the shark fin of adoption. And the reason it's hard for folks who are, are internal staff to um, be focused on some of the things that we as consultants get to see is they don't get to see that stuff every day. They're focused on keeping the lights on, keeping the wheels turning, keeping the processes running. Uh, and we often don't invest in that internal staff in ways that gives them exposure to those things that we as consultants get to see. I think it's a great um, uh, marriage of internal and external resources. Uh, again, my buddy Mark says, it doesn't matter where your pay for, paycheck comes from. Uh, Mark Dorsey, he says, you're all staff. So he treats uh, consultants and internal staff the same way and um, as resources for how you do this digital first and all the things that they do as an association. So uh, I, I believe it's a great uh, uh, synergy, which is an overused consulting term to have both the outside view and perspective and the inside view of hey, let's, let's make this thing um, rock steady in terms of delivery. And that's what the internal folks are usually really good at is, is that internal delivery, but they don't get that outside view. But they also have a deep knowledge of the association, its culture, its history, its traditions. And in, in a good uh, consulting relationship, those internal people are, as you said, just as important. Uh, they keep things running and the process has to be managed. And so that having somebody accountable internally, I think is extremely important. So what advice would you have for association professionals who know their organization is behind, but they don't know where to start when it comes to digital transformation? I think we've already given them one suggestion, and that is starting with your goals first and actually articulating what it is you want to be able to do. But what else could they or should they be thinking about? So I always go back to the strategic plan, right? So do an assessment. What are the goals of the organization? What are you trying to achieve? And then you start working through the literally what we used to talk about, stand plan, you know, that, that whole external stand thing. Uh, you have to go through that process methodically. Uh, and we start ours with our clients in the assessment phase. So there are you know, in the association world, we've defined 18 or 19 things that every IT organization has to do. And some of those are strategic. Some of them are operational. 
So uh, we, we suggest that people will start with an assessment, whether you do it with us or any of the other very capable consultants that are out there, do an assessment first, get, get the, the situation quantified. Uh, and that's you know what we've talked about is the as is, where are you today? Uh, and then you take your strategy as an organization, define the preferred future that you want to have as outcomes, and you build a roadmap for, to get from point A to point B. Um, that's, that's the approach. That's the recommendation is, is assess where you are, understand where you need to be and build the roadmap to get there. So a gap analysis is an important piece of this whole process. Give us an idea when an assessment is done. Can you give us an idea of the types of things that are assessed? Sure. So we always use the three pillars, the people, process, technology. We didn't invent it. It's been around for decades. You have to look at those three things. Um, and the people part of it is everything from the staffing to the culture to, you know, if if you have an organization that wants to be uh, very digital forward in terms of the way they want to accomplish their business model, yet they underinvest, there's a cultural problem there that the IT people can't solve. So you've got to assess the culture of the organization. You got to take a look at do the internal folks or uh, or even the consulting team that you put together with them, do they have the skill sets to get you from the as is to the to be state, right? So those people, uh, that people part of it. And then the process part of it, what, you know, every association thinks they're special and they are, but, you know, one of the big roadblocks that we see with associations is they want to customize everything, right? They want every piece of technology customized specifically for them because they're different. And that's the biggest barrier for moving forward in a digital space, because in the association world, we live in what I call a best of breed space, which means we glue together typically 25 to 30 applications, and you've got to find a way to integrate all of that stuff. So look at the process stuff, the, the things that live between all of your applications, and of course the technology kind of writ large fixed figures into that fact, into that picture. Uh, at the end of an assessment, you should have a very strong picture of where you are, because that's usually where people are struggling. You know, they wallow in it or, you know, they just kind of not don't know where to start. Uh, so there are some very good ways to get an assessment and then figure out what the plan is for getting you where you need to be and do the investments uh, to make it happen. People, process and technology, uh, great hangers to hang the whole digital first uh, conversation on. Last question before we wrap up here, it, it the remote work has been interesting from the standpoint that we're not all gathered and we're not passing each other in the hallway and we're not putting our heads together in brainstorming sessions. So how, if I need to do a gap analysis, and I understand that there are analysis tools out there for sure, but how do I overcome, since we're not together under one roof now, how is that going to change what I do, slow it down, make it more difficult or is it going to change anything? Uh, so I, I, I don't know that I'm the right person to answer that because we've always been virtual, always. And we engage with our clients virtually and we've always used tools like you and I are using today to do that engagement. I think the difference is that there are um, very specific processes that we use. We use tools that we've been using for years to do this, some assessment work 
for example, we start with a 20 minute survey of everybody in on staff. And then we go, so that's the quantitative piece of it. And then we go through qualitative interviews, just like you and I are talking today. We talk to people one-on-one. Uh, we use that to get the qualitative piece of the work that we need to do. I, I think that uh, it, it, for me, it's not a function of, are you in the same room? It's, are you in the same headspace? Love it. That is a great last line to end on there, Rick. Thank you for being my guest. This is Mary Byers and Successful Associations today. 